Dear friends, welcome to another edition of Forum 2000 Online Chats. My name is Hernan Alberro and I'm Associate Fellow at Forum 2000. And here today with us, we have Tamara Tarasiuk Bronner, Acting Director of the Americas Division at Human Rights Watch. Tamara has an impressive career in the field of human rights with a focus on Latin America, having worked at the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars and uh, the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights. Tamara, thank you very much for joining us today in this forum online chat to talk about the right to protest and its impact on democratic governance. Thank you, Hernan, for the invitation and that very kind and generous introduction. Thank you. Um, Tamara, I mean, over the last, let's say, five to 10 years, uh, we have seen demonstrations erupting uh, in very different countries, and apparently, at least, for many different reasons. Uh, they used to be something common in Argentina, uh, where you lived and I was born, uh, so, but not so much in Chile, Ecuador, Colombia, Brazil. So let me start by asking, why do you think this is happening? And what uh, would you say are the most important and maybe new characteristics of this movement? I think there's a pattern in terms of the protests that we are seeing in Latin America that are related to very basic needs that the population has that haven't been met and that are not being provided by governments. And, you know, they can start with a cost of a bus ticket in a country or social pensions. And and that mobilizes people to take to the streets and to start asking for what they feel they need. What ends up happening is that then these protests bring together people with different types of requests that range from democratic governance and, um, and social needs. And I think that is a common understanding with different degrees in the region. And the other pattern that we've seen in, in different countries, in Colombia, in Chile, in Peru, um, is that security forces are unable to respond properly to these protests. And, you know, you end up seeing at times violence on the streets, on the side of demonstrators that requires a response by authorities, but the response by security forces ends up being disproportionate and they end up applying excessive use of force. Um, and that's when we see killings or abuses on the streets, which is also extremely problematic. And precisely um, about that, I mean, how can we draw a line between you know, the right to protest and, and maybe democratic governance, right? Because it, as you mentioned, I mean, it's, it's challenging to, to democratic governance. Sometimes, you know, demonstrations, maybe when they turn into more violent. And also when the same government, when the, the, the state uh, isn't unable, is unable to control it properly. How can, where would you draw the line, let's say? How can we find that place? I think that when you talk about human rights, you generally are talking about balancing rights. You know, there are some rights where you don't have a degree. Like you can't torture a little bit. You can't torture, period. Uh, but with other rights, for the most part, you end up having this delicate balance between where do the rights of one 
group and one part of the population and to allow for other rights to play out. And there is obviously a right in international law to participate and protest. It has to, it's related to the right to freedom of expression, freedom of association, and that should be enabled and provided by the state. But it's generally protected to the extent it's a peaceful demonstration. Um, and I, I think that's where the tension begins, right? You should allow people to express themselves and to demonstrate. When those expressions end up affecting the rights of other people, we've seen incidents in some of these protests where demonstrators, for example, close roads, and that does not allow ambulances to go through and provide health care to the population, or they cut off a, an entire area in a city and it makes it difficult for food to enter that area. Now, then you start seeing this tension between rights and the right to protest is, is not an absolute right. You're not allowed to do whatever you want, whenever you want, wherever you want. Uh, but the state should allow you to exercise that right peacefully and provide the conditions for that to happen. And the other part of this is that the, um, uh, when there are incidents of violence in these protests, states have the obligation to respond with proportionate force. Uh, and we don't always see that. And the other problem we see in the region is that when there is a disproportionate response to protests on the street, we don't always see accountability for those abuses. And the message that comes out of this is that it appears to be tolerated, right? And and then that's when you will understand this recurrent cycle of violence. Because you've seen, you know, that's how Peru, which is a big issue today. In 2020, there were protests on the streets and there was a violent response and there was a clear need for uh, police reform that never happened. So today we are seeing again, people taking to the streets for several reasons and security forces that are not responding properly to those protests that are at times violent, but the response we've seen has been excessive and accountability is one of the key things that is missing. Now, speaking about uh, reasons, um, you know, many accused authoritarian governments such as Cuba or Venezuela to be like the instigators or the funders uh, sending money for demonstrations and social movements and political parties sometimes uh, to, you know, instigate uh, disorder and uh, create instability in, in democratic governance, uh, like it was said in the case of Chile and, and Colombia. Uh, what's your appreciation about that? Uh, what, what's your opinion? There have certainly been reports of that. Uh, and my main response to that is it's one of the main, the key things that needs to be investigated. And in order to do that, you need to have a judiciary that's independent and can look at both the crimes committed by protesters and infiltrators and the abuses committed by security forces. And you should have a clear understanding that both things are happening and both things are wrong and both things need to be investigated. And that's not always the case. I think that's one of the main problems we have in our region is like this political view of facts that just undermine the truth of what really is happening. Um, and, you know, that the fact that there may be people infiltrated in the protest and that they are generating incidents of violence 
is very problematic and it needs to be dealt with uh, clearly and with due process by the judiciary in the same way that the judiciary needs to go after and investigate properly abuses by security forces. Because it's a really good deterrent for both to know that if you go ahead and commit a crime, you will be held accountable. You'll have less interest in committing that crime the next time you have the opportunity to do that. Now, talking about facts, precisely, um, I was I was thinking about the role of social media. Uh, well, no, there's a lot of things <laughs> being said regarding uh, social media, polarization, disinformation, and so on. That's why it's a facts issue. Uh, but it's clear that that uh, social media has some kind of role on polarization and polarization of, of social movements uh, through showing videos and and you know. Uh, calling for for people to uh, maybe increase their level of voices, let's say, or or, or enthusiasm in, in protests, and uh, that's how we've seen colorful protests in 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 many different countries. Um, now, dictatorships solve this issue easily, right? They unplug the internet, they block social media, um, so it's it's sort of easy for them to, to control this, let's say, viralization. Now, is there anything liberal democracies can do about it without falling into an authoritarian temptation of limiting freedom of expression? That's a very important point. I think social media provides um, different avenues to, uh, to relate to protest. So, you know, on the one hand, you have cases like Venezuela, where you have very limited, if any, independent media that will disseminate information that um, the government dislikes. So people rely on social media as a way to um, get information that they wouldn't otherwise get because there are these strong controls by institutions. Or in the case of Cuba, where the internet and social media they played a fundamental role in mobilizing people and in helping people take to the streets. And it was a catalyst of the protests in July 2021 uh, that were the most massive protests in Cuba in decades. Um, but on the other hand, there's this very big risk that you don't really know what you're seeing and you don't know what sort of information you are getting through the internet. So, you know, citizen responsibility in not spreading false news and some sort of control without undermining uh, the right to free expression is important. Um, but there have to be there has to be very clear rules to avoid censorship. Um, and I think you know one thing that is clear historically, even before social media, in terms of limiting free expression, is like you shouldn't be allowed to um, generate the commission of crime. And that is pretty broad, but I think that's a good standard to think about these issues. Like if what you're saying is going to lead to the commission of crimes, that is generally a crime in any of our criminal codes, right? So I think, um, again, we're talking about rights that are not absolute, that can be regulated, like the right to freedom of expression, including through social media, but it has to be very uh, strict, limited, and it has to be proportional to the objective it wants to achieve. And it has to be provided by law. It can't be done arbitrarily because I wake up one day and decide 
to um, limit free expression, you know, like former President Bolsonaro did in Brazil when he decided to block people from his Twitter account, which is in a way um, a violation to free speech because he's not allowing people to access information of public interest, being the president of the country, right? So I think there are criteria that need to be followed to be able to regulate the right to free expression um, so that it's not an arbitrary regulation, but a regulation that will contribute to a responsible exercise of that right. Thank you, Tamara. Um, finally, maybe talking more, more broadly now, what, what would you say are the main uh, challenges uh, to human rights in, in Latin America for the coming years? Uh, what is your like, most important concern or, or fear regarding uh, human rights in Latin America? Well, unfortunately, I think we have a long list to pick from. Um, but what I would say is, no, I've, I'm very concerned about democratic backsliding in the region. We are seeing, you know, not only the dictatorships in Cuba or Nicaragua or Venezuela, but also democratically elected leaders that come to power. And once in power, they just turn their back on the most basic democratic guarantees, like judicial independence or the free press or, or civil society. Um, and I think that's one of our main challenges moving forward is how do we protect democratic institutions and democratic guarantees in a context in which these authoritarian leaders are selling easy fixes to the problems that people genuinely have. So people are concerned about poverty and equality and security. And if you don't have a democratic uh, government that adequately responds to those needs, you're just generating the conditions for the bukeles of the world to uh, be successful in selling a message that isn't really true, but sells very well, which is like, you. it doesn't really matter if you commit abuses against the criminals if I'm lowering the homicide rate. The truth in El Salvador is that you have thousands of arbitrary arrests, you're putting them in jails that are a finishing school for delinquents. So in the long term, that's not a sustainable public security policy. But that's not the conversation we're having. So, I mean, if I would have to put um, top of my list in terms of concerns, I, I would say we need to protect those democratic institutions so that they can deliver to the people. And that's, you know, a way of saying, you know, we need to convince the people that more democracy is best uh, and that the solution is not less democracy, but rather more of it. Tamara Tarasiuk-Proner, thank you very much for this conversation, for the great work you do at uh, Human Rights Watch, trying to defend and promote human rights all over the world. Uh, thank you very much. And for all our audience, um, you can find more information about this issue at Forum 2000 website, our YouTube channel, and social media. Thank you. Thank you very much.